Whitehorse stood at the head of the sacred valley. He did not know that it was the special domain of the great god of the Cheyennes, Sweet Medicine. He did not know that even the air of this valley was holy, feared of man. He only knew that there was peace unutterable between the cliffs on either side, and the gateway between towering rocks through which the river slid out into the canyon beyond. He knew that this was not like any land through which he had ranged in the days of his wild, free running before the man had found him. The grass was more dense, more richly green. The trees were rolling clouds, immensely large, and the very water had a snowy taste of purity. Where in the world, besides here, could there be found buffalo ignorant of guns and therefore fearless in their numbers, or mountain sheep who grew pig fat in the meadows of the lowlands, or tall mountain goats who forgot the heights to which they had ascended since they needed no safety guards of high climbing? Where could be found the herds of tall deer and the flashing disks of antelope who were also fearless? Whitehorse lifted its head to the wind, which ruffled his mane and sent a silken flash through the length of his tail. On that wind he read the story of a thousand odors, and all of them told him of peace. His own sides were sleeked over a little with peace, even by these few days of resting in the sacred valley. His nerves were as still as the waters of the little lake just below the waterfall. Above the chanting of the cascade, he heard a thin, shrill, commanding whistle, small as the cry of a hawk from heaven. He shook his head and answered at a gallop. He turned into a white streak of speed that flung his tail straight out behind him, and so he came to the still margin of the lake. There, Red Hawk awaited him. White men called him Rusty Sabin, but he looked more like his foster fathers, the Cheyennes, and Red Hawk was also known as White Indian because, as a child, he had been stolen by the Cheyennes and raised by them. As he sat on his heels, clad in only a breech clout, he washed the last pan of black mud. The eddy cleared the sediment away. With a quick whirling motion, he caused the cloud of soil to rise, to bubble over the side of the pan, and now the stream flowed clear and free into the dish. At the bottom there was a glittering remnant. He lifted the pan, poured the water out of it, and then into the cup of his hand transferred the remainder of golden bright pebbles and dust. It was very heavy. It was heavier than lead. He had washed more than one hundred dollars of virgin gold out of the lap of the earth in that single effort. He poured the bright flash of it from one hand into the other, then he dropped the stuff into the mouth of the second buckskin sack. The other one was already full, and this one now was brimmed to the lips. He stuffed in a quantity of leaves and then sewed the mouth of the sack shut, using for a needle the slender, curving end of a rib, and for a thread, a bit of the sinew of a rabbit. After that, he saddled Whitehorse, who had been loitering around him, sniffing at the sacks, biting gingerly at the long red hair of the master. 
He snorted when the weight of the sacks was lashed to the saddle. How many other horses had carried $40,000 in gold on their proud backs? But White Horse preferred the living weight of his master. Then Rusty Sabin, who all the Cheyennes knew as Red Hawk, pulled the moccasins onto his feet and tied about his waist the belt that supported the knife with the 16-inch blade on his left hip, the Colt revolver, that new and deadly weapon, on his right. To his own taste, the knife was the more significant weapon. He had made it in those old days when he had first been among white men. Now he had returned to the valley in search of gold and had found it.